As COVID-19 sweeps across the world, it is causing an increase in mental health disorders such as depression and anxiety. 36% of Americans told an American Psychiatric Association poll that the pandemic has had a serious impact on their mental health. As people are in self-isolation, remote therapy services like Talkspace and Brightside have seen a 65% increase in demand. Lastly, reports are emerging that COVID-19 is disproportionately impacting the African-American community. What mental health effects should we expect on our community? I'm Dr. Karina Steni. And I'm Dr. Pindula Erika Choa. And this is Hey Doc, Let's Chat. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to our show, guys. Hello, everyone. It has been a minute and we are just so happy to, to be here to talk to you guys. So, so today we are going to talk about mental health disorders and COVID-19. We are just so excited. We have a special guest here. We have Dr. Nicole Christian Brathwaite. Nicole, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? Wonderful. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So Nicole, if you could just go ahead and just introduce yourself to the audience so they know who they're talking to, that would be great. Sure. My name again is Nicole Christian Brathwaite. I am a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. I also specialize in pregnancy and postpartum mental illness. I am practicing in the Boston area, and I have a consulting company called WellMinds Consulting, and I do a lot of consulting to communities, schools, colleges, organizations around mental health, trauma, implicit bias, race-based trauma. And I'm also a mom of of two crazy little boys. Oh, oh that awesome. sounds wonderful. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today. So how is everyone doing? I mean, everything that's happening and the impact of COVID in our lives right now, like how is everyone doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> <I know. laughs> It depends on the minute. I know. Right? Oh, man. Well, I I would say for myself, it has been pretty challenging going to work and then also trying to come home and take care of a toddler who really requires my undivided attention and do that while still checking in on super anxious and worried parents and family. And so I would say for me, it's like I'm in survival mode, you know, just kind of coping. I I would say I'm not functioning at 100% my best, but... But I'm just making it, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I totally agree. How about you, Nicole? How, how are you doing? Um, we, you know, I've had to lower my expectations because I, you know, I, my initial goal was to try to get everything done. I'm also working. I have the, the privilege of being able to work from home and see patients from home. But it's also difficult because my husband also works and our kids, of course, don't acknowledge work at being at home. Um, <laughs> like, so that's work, mom. Right, exactly. <laughs> like if you're here, it means it's a go. And so that and my we're fortunate we have a multi-generational household. So my mother lives with us and she's been able to help a little bit with our children which makes it at least possible for us to work in chunks of time, but you know, everyone everyone's tired. My kids, my kids are so tired of talking to their classmates on Zoom and, you know, getting them to to do any kind of work. But yeah, you know, I just 
I, I really, I've lowered my expectations. If we have a good 10 minutes, that's a great day. I can imagine that. I can imagine that. You know, for me, the, these days have been very interesting. Uh, obviously, the self-isolation aspect of it has been super real. I do not have any children and I live with my dog. So I have found ways to connect with myself in ways that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And it, it I can I have to be honest and admit that it hasn't been easy as a healthcare provider to be out there and pouring out into my patients. I find myself feeling depleted when I come home. So when we were thinking about developing this topic, I was thinking, I was talking to Erica, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one feeling this way. And I can only imagine what will come out of it, of this pandemic in terms of our mental health. And I felt that it might be a good topic to talk about candidly, you know, so we are very excited to have you here and we would love to pick your brain and, and kind of hear from you and your perspective and what you're seeing these days. Yeah. So, so Nicole, I mean, everyone's jobs description is kind of changing right now. And I know you said you, you've started your own business and you do a lot of telework, but are, are you currently seeing patients? What kind of patients are you seeing? What is the, like the most common visit you're seeing right now? Yeah, so I am definitely still seeing patients. My, I kind of have, I, I wear multiple hats. So I have a private practice where I see patients locally. And then I also work with a primary care practice in Illinois. And I see their patients because they just have such limited mental health access. And so I provide telepsychiatry to very rural clinic in Illinois. And then I also work part-time at a residential facility for youth with serious mental illness. So I'm kind of I'm, I have multiple roles. <laughs> I have I have multiple roles, but in terms of the the patients that I'm seeing outpatient, it's, it's interesting. I I see the entire age range. My my youngest right now, my youngest patient is six years old, and my oldest is eighty something years old. And so it's such a range for a lot of my patients who were already struggling with social isolation and having a difficult time connecting or experiencing social anxiety, this COVID can bring an extra layer of challenge because we're social beings. And a lot of the coping skills that I recommend to people involve leaving your house or connecting with other people or engaging outside of your home. And so many of those things are gone. And for a lot of people that really struggle with dysfunctional households or household or homes where they don't feel completely safe, work and school and college, those were safe places for them and they've lost those. And that, that can be really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you think about the populations that are the most at risk in during this pandemic, like what, what comes to mind? So many. And I'm realizing people that I hadn't even initially considered as being at risk. So people with underlying mental health problems are certainly at risk in general. Mental health is stigmatized and often people with mental health problems fear interacting with medical facilities or fear interacting with physicians because they worry about the stigma. They worry about how they'll be perceived. And so oftentimes People with significant mental health problems don't get treatment early on because of fear or, you know, anxiety and or even just lacking the motivation secondary to depression. So, of course, though, that group of people are certainly at greater risk. People who are struggling with substance use disorders, I'm very concerned about. The percentage of alcohol intake has significantly increased. I read somewhere in the month of March, there was a 50% increase in alcohol purchases. And that's, re wow. that's really concerning, again, because a, a lot of 
substance use and treatment involves having a partner working in groups and having that support. And so I'm, I'm certainly concerned about that. Also, you know, concerned about people that are in difficult relationships, difficult families. There's been an increase in domestic violence calls. There's been an increase in child abuse calls. And so, you know, when you put people together under an intense amount of stress, things are bound to boil over. And, and that's a lot of what we're seeing. Mm, Those are very mm. good points. Yeah. Wow. How about this parent? What do you tell them? How can they help their, their children de- during this difficult time? Right. So that's, that's a, a, a great point. And I've been working with a, a lot of parents around how to support their kids. And one of the biggest issues that teenagers are complaining about is boredom. And as we know, <laughs> you know, a bored teenager can be a very dangerous situation. Um, we've had mm-hmm. kids now coming up with all kinds of different, I don't know, what are they called? Like, sorry, I'm blanking on the yeah, so challenges. Yeah, like challenges. Thank you. Yes. I mean, I know exactly um, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. So they're, you know, doing these challenges. I, don't, I have no idea who comes up with challenges <laughs> or like why why there would be a nutmeg challenge. I'm not, I am totally oh unclear, but you know, again, that's the kind of the not fully formed frontal part of the, the teenage brain. And so they're, when you give teenagers a lot of unstructured free time, things happen. So that's one of the, the issues. Teenagers, they're bored. And so boredom can often give your mind the chance to go and spiral. So I'm having a lot of kids who are experiencing in, intrusive negative thoughts because they, they don't have any distractions and they're you know experiencing significant anxiety because they have the time to mm-hmm. worry. Whereas before they were often so busy that they didn't have as much time. And, you know, parents are feeling overwhelmed and stressed about children missing school and losing educational milestones. And one of the other things that I've really been emphasizing to parents, we have to acknowledge and accept that many of our teenagers are grieving. And they, they've lost mm-hmm. very important time that they cannot easily get back. So we have our seniors, they've they've lost their prom. They've they've lost their homecoming and senior dances and senior activities and the same with you know sophomores and juniors and those of our teenagers who were athletes and they're missing their entire season even college students the juniors who were trying to get their grades up for college they're grieving this loss and so I, I really am emphasizing to parents to look at this as a loss the same way that mm-hmm. if they lost a friend and they would grieve. I'm also seeing a lot of kids responding in the same way. And so with grief comes the stages of grief. So denial, Mm. anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance, and then a a newer stage that's been added on is meaning. And so you'll, you'll see kids going through these stages. And frankly, a lot of adults are even going through these stages like, well, you know, you know, you know, this won't happen much longer. It's okay. People in denial, then all of a sudden there's sadness, then there's anger. And then there's the bargaining. Well, maybe if I just only went out this one time, it wouldn't be so mm-hmm. difficult. And so when we, when I talk to parents looking at their teenager's reaction as grief, I think it helps to, to put it in perspective, but also to acknowledge and respect their pain. I think we sometimes have a tendency to dismiss kids and what they're saying and mm-hmm. what they're feeling. So one of the first things is acknowledge their pain, hear them, listen to them, not necessarily offering advice or suggestions, but allowing them to grieve allowing them to complain, allowing them to be frustrated because they, they need that space and they, they deserve that time because they, they have lost such a significant period of their lives. Yeah, mm, that is mm. that is very true. You know, I was, in, I was wondering, how about you as a parent, Erica? How are you dealing and coping with this as a parent? 
Well, well, I would say for my two-year-old baby, I'm not as concerned about, but for my nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old child, I wasn't thinking that it was affecting her until one day we were all in the car, we were driving, and I just had this podcast going in the background, and it was talking about COVID-19, and it was talking about how many people have died, and all the people who've been affected. And I'm just listening, thinking, just minding my own business. And when we stopped at our destination, I got out the car. And I opened the door for my nine-year-old and she was in tears. She mm. was weeping in tears. And I, I mean, literally my heart just dropped. I'm like, what, what's going on, Marcy? Like, what what happened? And she said, I, I don't want to listen to that anymore. I don't want to listen to that. And I'm like, oh, I'm baby. so sorry, you know? And I'm like, tell me how it makes you feel. And the thing is just like, I don't want you to die. I don't want anybody to die. I don't like that people are dying, things to be normal again. And after that moment, I think it was like, okay, I really need to be mindful. This is not just affect adults, really <laughs> affecting the, the little ones. And after that, I just had to sit down and have a conversation with her. And like Nicole said, you have to acknowledge their feelings, even for a nine-year-old. I think, you know, navigating that space is really difficult. And, you know, I don't know, Nicole, with children, nine-year-olds, what sort of advice would you give for a parent? Everything that you did was spot on. As much as possible, I've been encouraging parents not to have the news on. I think it's kind of <laughs> just, it's like, it's background noise often, mm -hmm. but you don't realize how much of that is seeping into your subconscious. Mm -hmm. um, when you're not paying attention. And so I, I always tell people, be very intentional about what your heart and mind are taking in. Because even when you may not be paying attention, your body and your mind is, and suddenly you may have a visceral reaction and not understand where it's coming from. I mean, it's often because of what we've heard or what we're seeing. And so with parents of any age, obviously limiting their social media access limiting what they're hearing and seeing about this because with the news and with social media, you can't control what's said or what you see. It just, it just comes at you. Whereas if you pick an article or pick a YouTube video, then you have more control over what is entering into your home. And so given that there's essentially, it's a tape recorder 24 seven, essentially it's the same news, cutting out a few hours to avoid having your your children or your family member here, it probably won't make a big difference. There's not a ton of new news coming hour to hour. And if there is, we'll find out about it, you know, eventually. But also in the same way that you would talk to her about any other significant losses or events, you know, speaking to her in a language that she understands, but also giving her the floor initially. So asking asking her if she has questions or if she has concerns. And I often encourage parents to do that in a setting where it doesn't seem as direct. So maybe while you're walking mm. or you know, while you're playing a game or even playing a video game or playing a board game as a family, or while you're, you know, kind of mindlessly watching TV, just bringing it up so that it doesn't feel as difficult. And there's that distraction where if, if it becomes uncomfortable, they kind of have an out and have an opportunity to step away. So if you're able to do that when there's a somewhat of a distraction or, you know, while you're playing dolls or, you know, playing any, any toys, giving kids that opportunity to kind of express themselves. Younger kids, usually between the age of like two to six or seven, will often express themselves through play. And so, you know, watching what your kids are playing, are they suddenly, do the themes of the play, the, uh, is it different? Are they talking about death and dying, mm -hmm. sickness and, you know, and that, and paying attention to that. Other things that you 
may notice that I've certainly noticed is a lot of regression. Um, oh either my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even my two-year-old. I'm like, what's yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, no. My, my three-year-old was fully potty trained and that is no longer the case. We oh are, we are having a lot of trouble, but I also expected that because, you know, kids thrive on the known. They thrive on structure. They, they thrive mm-hmm. on reliability. And all of that is out of the window as, as much as possible, trying to build in structure because for kids, structure equals safety. Mm. So even I'm trying to, I cannot keep on the same schedule every day, but we have meals at the same Mm. time every day. So at the very least, they know that breakfast, lunch, and dinner are going to be the exact same times that breakfast, lunch, and dinner were three months ago. Mm. So that's at least one thing that we can kind of shape our day around. And then, you know, giving, giving kids some control and one of the the issues that's coming up is it, it just feels like so much of this is happening to us. And we don't have a say, we don't, we can't seem to change the course of events. And so if we feel that way, you can only imagine how a child feels like they're so much is being put upon them and has been taken away from them. And that can be, that can be very scary and disruptive. And so giving them control and choices. So at the beginning of the gate of the day, what activity would you like to do today? What TV show would you like to watch today? Or giving them options so we can for dinner, we can have hot dogs, spaghetti or macaroni. And so even though essentially we're making the choice by giving them those options, children feel like they're having some say in their world and they can shape things and and things aren't just happening out of their control. Those are very, very mm-hmm. thoughtful um, suggestions. You know, to, to uh, follow up on that, you both are in very unique positions as mothers and healthcare providers. How are you coping and what tools are you using to manage your stress during this difficult time that we're living in? Well, <laughs> so I'm an ER physician, as many of you uh, of our audience knows. I work in the ER and I'm really in the front lines. And I, I would say that I'm also grieving in a sense. As Nicole says, I'm grieving what I thought my job was. I'm grieving my former life. And I think for me, it's just the uncertainty of it all. You go through life, you know, having a structure, you know where you want to be the next couple of years, you know how you want your life to kind of pan out. And just being in this weird sort of state where I feel like I just don't know what the next month or two is going to look like has been definitely definitely super challenging. And then having to go to work. And one of the biggest things for me is being that person who is in between my patient and the family. When when people are super ill, being the 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 face, being the last person to to see their family member and really advocating. And I feel like it's a it's a privilege, but it's also mm-hmm. it's very heavy to 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 carry that. And when I I'll just give an example. The other day, I literally was in tears because I I lost a patient and the Mm -hmm. circumstances surrounding that were just pretty devastating for me. And at the end of the day, after everything was said and done, I came home and now I have to be here for everybody else at home. And so it's Mm -hmm. almost like, let's just keep it moving. Kind of like Mm -hmm. I've had this big event happen, this thing happen, but I still have to pick myself up. I got to be strong because I have my, my kids. I have my husband, I have things to do. And then really feeling that kind of unresolved mourning or or I'm not even taking the time to really grieve what just happened or or talk about it. So I think for me, that's the difficult part is there's so many moving parts and, you know, trying to stop and pause.
pause and saying, how is this affecting me and my mental health? I don't think I always take that time. And I've really had to get or seek out. I've really been you know, talking to my therapist probably every one to two weeks, really every week recently. And really it's more so just to, to check in and just be like, you know, how are you doing? Because I was finding that it was coming out in different ways and aggression. It was affecting my marriage. It was affecting, you know, it's just been affecting so many things. And so I think really taking that time to pause has really helped me, but it hasn't difficult and I'm still figuring it out, but it's definitely a tough, tough place to be. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. And I, I'm, I think in general, we as caregivers, as physicians, you know, we we are helpers, and but we often tend to neglect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And now more than ever, I've been encouraging everyone in that caregiver role, including healthcare providers, please take a step back and do kind of a self-assessment, do a body scan. And our bodies often communicate what we're dealing with and it comes out in pain and headache and nausea and exhaustion. And we will tend to push those aside and keep moving. But it's like your, your body's trying to tell you, you have to, you have to take a step back and prioritize yourself because at, in the end, at the end of the day, if we're not healthy, then our patients and our families suffer much, much more. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, Nicole, I think the challenge for me is just that we are trained to essentially always be in a position of giving. And it also, you can find that also in how we interact with um, other people in our lives, in our family, in our relationships. And it is hard, especially for me to do a self-check and pause and be like, okay, what is actually happening right now? Why do I have this muscle spasm in my back that won't stop? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel this uh, this ball in my stomach? And depending on your personality, which for me has always been pretty much, for people who know me, more so of like a, a little bit of a light and joyful spirit, I find it very challenging to experience emotions that are negative because it doesn't sit well with me. It's not a space that is comfortable. So it's easier to push it onto the rug and to keep it moving. But like Erica mentioned, I feel like it comes out in other ways. And what was interesting in what you had just mentioned is the physical experience of it, where you physically hurt as a result of your mental state. It is something I have to be honest that I struggle with. I haven't found true way, like a a good way to manage that. And it's something that I am still working on. But let's talk about how this is impacting our community a bit. I think it's super important with everything that's going on. You can see in the news is talking about COVID affecting our Black community more than any other community, really. And we already know that in our community, mental health is stigmatized. So I am just, I'm super curious to really find out what your thoughts are, Nicole, about how COVID is going to affect our mental health. I am incredibly concerned. I'm The one good thing is that at the very least, we're all experiencing the same pain and trauma So I'm hoping that as a result, because it's been a universal experience, that the stigma in terms of seeking help and seeking support will be less because we we're all there in it together. And we if we're not struggling, we know someone very close to us who is struggling and particularly for the the black community and communities of color. 
we're going to have multiple points of stress and frankly trauma. My, my real fear is that many of us are going to come out of this situation highly traumatized. I think we often assume trauma is like some devastating event or a significant accident, but trauma, you know, racism is traumatic. And so losing, losing significant, losing money and losing economic or job security, that can be very traumatic, particularly when it's not just you, it's you, it's your partner or your spouse, your sibling, your parent. And many of you have lost jobs and people that you would normally rely on are looking for help. And so that, that can be very difficult. And mm -hmm. so then dealing with in three months, having, you know, many of us barely have one month salary saved. So now going three, four, or even five months without a salary, that's going to be incredibly trying for most, most Americans. But again, in particular, Black people more than others, we're often in the role where we're hourly workers or we don't have benefits or we don't have the ability to work from home. And so we're suffering significantly more or where those essential employees that are not prioritized often, like nurses' aides or nurses, and you know, often not given masks or supermarket employees, and so they they have to work. Mm -hmm. They're at greater risk, and they're being exposed without protection, and so all of that is very stressful. So I think once the the smoke clears and we really start to look at our communities, we're going to have to deal with a massive loss of life. So many families have lost, mm -hmm. you know, patriarch and matriarchs and family members. And there are some family members who have lost many members. And I have to tell you, what I can totally relate to what you just mentioned. I have many friends who are starting to report to me that they have many family members affected by this. They started to lose family members and it, it is shocking and it's hurtful. And I'm thinking about this yeah. and I'm like, so how do we grieve together? How do we how do we how do we attend to our family members how do we grieve with them how do we do that while we are being isolated from each other i know i know and th that's the most devastating part is having losing family members and not being able to go through the normal traditions that we have as a black community mm -hmm. in terms of coming together worship going through a worship service mm -hmm. um, or you know praying with other family members if you are if, if you're a family based in faith or even just being able to come together to support each other you know oftentimes and I'm sure you may have had a similar experience, you know, funerals are times when you see people you haven't seen in a long time and mm -hmm. you grieve together, but then there are also moments where you're reminiscing together about mm -hmm. the person who mm -hmm. lost and you're able to share those positive memories or even just laughing about the family drama, like all of that builds relationships and that's all been taken. And so that is a, that's a huge loss. And for many families and many communities of color, Funerals are major events, and you know, even in the Jewish, even in the Jewish community, like not being able to have shiva, like this is these are major losses, and these mm -hmm. these are experiences that are very difficult to deal with. Even losing a family member that from something else other than COVID, you still can't really manage or grieve. And then you know, so not only are people not working, they're losing family members, but I'm even thinking about children when these kids mm -hmm. go back to school. They have to go back to school after having lost grandmoms and parents and cousins and not having been in school and, you know, maybe not having the same opportunities that many of their white counterparts had in terms of being able to have the online learning and, you know, having mm -hmm. teachers that have the resources to provide them. And so our kids will be 
coming in even potentially further behind because of the trauma, because of the lack of resources, because of the the lack of support and family togetherness. Like on every level, this is going to be a really difficult transition. Yeah, I would say, you know, the thing that kind of breaks my heart is, you know, when they're losing the the breadwinner, I'm seeing that in the hospital and I'm telling you, it's breaking my heart. It's breaking my heart because I'm I'm seeing us. I'm seeing my people really just in in a place of helplessness. And I had the other day, a grandmother came, you know, she's 50 something, but she's taking care of her her children, her grandchildren, you know, and everybody, she's up and around, she has a business, she's taking care of everyone. And she came in, she was COVID positive, and she also had a stroke, which left her disabled, unable to to to, to talk, unable to walk. And that that is her future moving forward. And listening to the family grieve on the phone was just so heartbreaking because now who's going to take care of us? Grandma right. is disabled and grandma is used to being strong for everybody. She's used to right. taking care of everyone. And now who do we have? And just listening to that heartbreak and at the same time telling them, listen, and you can't really see grandma right now. You know, you you can't be here to hold her hand. You can't you can't mourn with her. It's it's seriously, I just think like in the next coming months, in the next coming years, what impact is this gonna leave on that family? It's it's right. it's it's awful thinking about. I think we, we're definitely going to have to have more mental health services available in our community. I mean, it's it, there's a paucity of of mental health services, but they need to be tripled or quadrupled. And people, you know, who have experience and trauma need to also um, come into our communities and be available to our children and to our families because people are grieving and we we really have to support them. You know, when thinking about this, what what is the most scary of it all is that the aftermath of this pandemic on our mental health in the community might be a pandemic in itself. If oh, yeah. you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare for that? That's that's the question that I don't know I have an answer to. Yeah, and it's and I hate that throughout this entire process where we've been so reactive because we just, you know, have not been prepared and have the resources. Mm-hmm. And my fear is that if we're not able to address the mental health aspect now, then it will be the same thing. We're going to suddenly be very reactive and have all of these mental health emergencies that we're not equipped to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nicole, how can the, the the general public sort of safeguard themselves and protect their mental health? I mean, a lot of things are not in our control. We can't control a lot of things. You know, we can't control when we return to normalcy, but what can we do in order to guard our mental health and stay healthy? What can we tell the public and our audience? Sure. And, and I mean, there are um, a number of different things we can do, but kind of some of the, the easiest thing would be, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, limiting our intake of news and limiting our intake of social media and just being very intentional about shutting it off at some point. It's addictive. It really is addictive. It's hard to turn away, but um, we just have to be very discerning about what we allow to enter into our spirits and into our minds and our hearts because we don't want these negative ideas and negative thoughts to take root. And so really being intentional about what you're looking at. And so I, you know, at the end of the day, I I see, I specialize in trauma. So I, I see a lot of patients who have experienced the worst of humanity and have been victims of, of awful, awful life experiences. And 
So I am very intentional about what I do when I end work. I cannot watch the news. I cannot watch certain TV shows. And so I watch comedies and I watch, you know, Marvel movies and because I, I know what's helpful for me or I have certain books that are very uplifting that I read or listening to music that I know just brings me joy or brings back positive memories. So I am intentional about adding those things to my life and, you know, certainly praying and reading the Bible. Those are all things that are very helpful. So, you know, again, the first thing being intentional about turning off the TV shutting down social media, and then picking up things that are gratifying and edifying. Mm. Um, the other the other thing that I, I'm sure we've heard before, you know, social distancing is not social isolation. So just being careful not to confuse the two. There have been many people who have not called a friend, have not texted, have not reached out, even, you know, not even leaving their house, not even seeing other um, people around. And that is a recipe for disaster because isolation is a symptom of depression and isolation can worsen depression. Mm. And so, you know, making sure that you're connecting with people. And even one thing that we know that's helpful is doing good for other people. And so calling that elderly aunt who you haven't talked to in a long time, she will love that phone call and you'll feel really good for making that phone call and doing that. Or, you know, if you're going to the grocery store and you have the means, maybe picking up an extra bag of fruit for your neighbor, mm. they'll be incredibly appreciative. And that makes you feel really good about yourself having done something for someone else. And so finding other ways to connect with people. The other thing, and I, so I, I won't, I know this is a lot. So I'll just last two things. One would be, again, trying to keep as much of a schedule as you can, mm -hmm. either around mealtime or showering. Hygiene is a big issue. It's very easy when you're home all day to not shower, to not change your clothes, but you don't feel good about yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and it takes, it takes away from your self-esteem. Whereas if you, even if you're not going anywhere, if you take a shower and get dressed and, you know, put some makeup on, you feel better about yourself. It doesn't have to be for anyone else. It just can be for yourself. And, you know, the, the last thing I'll mention is exercise mm. and, you know, just overall healthy eating. So there was recently a New York Times article that stated one of the, the greatest risk factors for having an adverse reaction or having adverse issues after contracting COVID is obesity. And right now, everybody's gaining weight because we're not yeah. moving and we're snacking all day and movement is restorative. So, you mm -hmm. know, our body takes just, you know, sitting around as like a lack of control and a lack of support. Whereas when you're exercising and your heart rate's going up and you're using your muscles, that is very supportive for your mental and physical health. And, mm. you know, so trying to incorporate at least 20 to 30 minutes a day of some type of exercise three to five times a week. You know, there are a ton of um, dance, uh, a ton of like performers and dancers that have free Instagram videos and on Eventbrite. I do a, a Soka dance class three days a week Ooh. and it's, you know, it's so much fun. It's 30 days, it's 30 minutes and they're women and usually women of color from all over the country. And they all have, we all have our videos on and we're following the instructor and we are having a great time. And I don't know any of these women, but I feel connected and I don't feel as alone. And so finding ways to incorporate exercise 
and trying to, to eat healthy because we don't want to come, you know, add additional weight. And then that will affect our self-confidence and that will affect our mood. Well, those are great mm-hmm. tools, Nicole. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so how about Erica? Where's my pen writing these yeah, down? Yeah, you know, <laughs> but listen, as we are closing, how about we uh, share with our audience what we learn or what we're going to try to incorporate as far as self-care tips? Um, well, I think the biggest thing is, uh, for me, is probably a structure and a schedule. That's the one thing that I think I'm lacking. You know, some days after I come home from a shift, I go to sleep. And then when I wake up in the morning, it's just like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm just kind of just making it. And so I think that's one tip that I've been told and that I need to really do more is really setting a schedule, not only for my child, but also for myself and really kind of jotting down what I want to do and just keeping a structure. And I think recently I, today actually, you saw me, Corinne, I've been, I did my hair, yeah, you know, yeah. I haven't done my hair in, in quite some time, you know, cause I've just been wearing this big old scrub cap at, at, um, it works. So I think the structure thing is the biggest thing in, 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 in continuing to do that is really helpful because it makes me feel normal. And even putting a little makeup on right, once right. in a while makes me feel normal. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll just probably continue doing that. You know, for me, I recently found out about this thing called TikTok. <laughs> I find myself just like getting on it and dancing and I think that listen (laughs) you just told you you just told us about this soca thing you're doing TikTok counts for me okay and uh, it makes me happy (laughs) I shake my bum bum and I'm good Nicole do you have any suggestions or any kind of action points that you can tell our audience well I I could say one thing that I'm struggling with that I need to work on is, is gratitude I tend to to see the negative and try to plan for the negative, but I'm not focusing on what has happened that's positive. So in addition to the exercise and the structure, both of those things I'm working on the, the other, the other, the third thing that I, I've really been trying to focus on is being appreciative and grateful and identifying the positive things in my day so that I don't lose sight of those. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, ladies, this was wonderful. I feel very good about the conversation we just had and I learned so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was so much fun. You, you ladies are amazing. <laughs> thank you guys thank, thank you, you thank you, you. <laughs> all right then this was hey doc let's chat i'm dr karina Ostani. and i'm dr pindito erica choa mm-hmm.